Welcome back, guys, to another Thursday night gathering. Um, if you're new here this week or if you're new here last week, my name is Cody. I'm the college pastor here at Coram Deo. Uh, like I said, I wasn't here last week, right? Like I got a chance to get away for a bit for a vacation. Regent was here. I thought he did a great job. Um, I've heard some great things. And I got, I got to get away. I got to have some fun. Um, got to do some cool things in Dubuque, and before you ask, yes, there are some cool things you can do in Dubuque, if you've ever wondered. There are, people live there, who would have thought? So, um, no, it's it's a good place, and we got away for a little bit, um, but I'm, I'm glad to be back, right? We just got back uh, earlier this week, um, and I'll just tell you, one of my least favorite uh, nights was Thursday night. We actually left on Thursday morning, and I didn't get to... See you guys. I was sort of bummed about it, right? And I knew things were happening here. Um, so I just want to let you know I missed you, um, and I'm glad to be back. But um, over vacation, I got to thinking about a lot of things, right? Like when you're, when you're unplugged, it gives you time to think about other things. Um, and I was just thinking, uh, I was thinking about the Bible, which I, I don't know if that surprised you, but I, I was thinking about the Bible, and I was thinking about how I read it, right? Because when you're on vacation, you're sort of unplugged, and things are changing all the time, and you um, are in a different scenario in which you may not be getting up at the exact same time, grabbing your Bible, going down to whatever room you read it in, or uh, you know, experiencing the Word of God in the same way every single time. And, and I was thinking about the different ways that we read Scripture. And the different ways that we read Scripture is a, a big and important topic. Um, it's actually, not only is it just this big, important topic, but it's actually one of the most uh, sought-after pieces of info in the Christian community, right? And I'm sure many of you are in that boat of always wanting to grow in how you read Scripture, always wanting to grow in how you understand Scripture, and really always wanting to grow in um, how you interact with God, right? How you experience God. It's a huge topic. It's most sought after. It's one of the things that like, so in our podcast, right? So we have a weekly podcast, Centered, Committed, Confident. If you guys aren't listening, you can find anywhere you want. Um, but uh, one of the things on it, one of the most requested topics we have, and one of the things we end up coming back to often is how we read the Bible and the different ways in which we read it. And that all sort of came back to my mind this past week while I was thinking about how I read it and how I entered into an, a new mode. Not a new mode, but I guess I, I read it a different way. Um, and there are several different ways to read it, right? Let's talk about just a few of those. I know it's a long intro, but I promise I'm, I'm getting somewhere, right? Um, let's talk about some of the ways that we read the Bible. So some of us, we're going to take times where we read it for deep study. If you were with us at our retreat not too long ago, just a few weekends ago, we did a lot of deep study and a lot of deep discussion. Some of us are going to read it for academia. You're in a class. You're learning about the Bible. Some of us are going to read it for theological understanding. We want to really have a better understanding of who God says that he is. Other of us, we're going to be reading scripture for advice, seeking advice. Some of us are reading it for application, right? We want to learn how we should be acting or how God's word applies to our lives. And maybe some of us are just on a reading plan and we just want to get to know the Bible better. Right? We just want to understand all right, here's the book of Colossians. What's in the book of Colossians? I don't really know, and so I'm reading through this reading plan. You just want to know it better. What, whatever it may be, we read the Bible differently, right? At different times, different reasons. And for me, my normal type of reading is deep study. 
That's what I prefer. It's what I default to, deep study and application. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm looking for reoccurring themes. I'm like writing little symbols in here, theological implications, repeated words, author's intent, intent and response, all that stuff. Um, and I, I think, and I, I pray, and I hope that you guys pick up on that on my Thursday night messages, right? That that's the kind of stuff I concern myself with. And here's why I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up because this past week I didn't do that. It might actually shock some of you, so those of you that know me really well. Um, I read my Bible on my phone at this vacation time, right? Like, so I, I didn't get up in the morning and read it. I, like, actually pulled it out, you know, like, I know I'm old. But for me, I prefer a physical Bible. So I was, I was picking it up, and I was reading it, and I didn't have any special programs open. I didn't have any apps open. I wasn't reading any commentaries. I was just doing what I would call light reading of Scripture, right? I was just reading it. And I was just seeing what the Lord might have for me just on the surface level of things I could learn. And, I, and first of all, I just want to tell you, like, that's okay. Like, that's, that's still good reading, right? And it was good for me to have a chance to do that. And it's okay for you. I mean, should we be doing deep study sometimes? Yeah, we should do deep study sometimes. Should we be reading in different ways for application? Yes. But this type of reading is great, too. And... It's good for us to just sort of see it and, and see what stands out sometimes, right? Surface level. What's the first thing that comes to you when you read it? The reason I'm bringing all this up is because that's what the message is tonight. The message isn't a deep study. It's not something where I opened a whole bunch of commentaries and read and, and understood all these different things that have happened time and time again. Tonight's message is meant to be, what's the first response we get to this passage? When you read it, what do you think of? And how does it impact you? And what is God maybe showing you in that? So I, I want you to imagine it like this. If, if you were reading your Bible, that you would write in the margins just something, right? Just if I'm going to write down something that God showed me in this or that I'm reflecting on, this is sort of it for me. So that's, that's what we're doing tonight. You'll see what I mean when I get to my first point as to how it looks a little bit different. Um, but for now, let's turn to Luke 20, all right? Luke chapter 20. After that long intro, we're now into the Gospel of Luke, back into our series. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke together, week in and week out, and we've been trying to understand a whole bunch about Jesus and who he is, and, and tonight we are at the first eight verses of Luke chapter 20, okay? Let me read the first eight verses. It says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the Gospel, the chief priests... And the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man... All the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So, I told you that we're going to be seeing some takeaways tonight. That's actually the title of this message, right? Three takeaways from Luke 20. I know it's super creative, you know. I, I, I did my pastoral hardest to have a great title, right? Three takeaways from Luke 20, and here's the first one. And this is why I said I needed to explain myself as to why this is the point. But point one, takeaway one, is uh, Jesus is awesome, right? Like as I'm reading this on my phone and I'm just thinking through preaching next week, uh, the first thing that pops up in my mind 
as I'm reading this. It's like, Jesus, is, he's just cool. He's just like, that's my immediate response. That's, that's what I think about. And I, and I know it's not like super depth, but I promise we'll get into some depth. It's not a super riveting point, but what I'm saying, it's a fair response to this passage. Like as you read it, this is, that's not a crazy thought to have. And, and I'll show you what I mean. But first, just think about it. I think about the whole context of what we just read. Like this is Jesus handling himself in a really cool way. I mean, he sort of gets sassy, I think, right? Like as he's going in this, I'm like, he sort of seems sassy, right? And, and I'm like, this is sort of just a really cool aspect to see about Jesus. And what you need to remember is that the Gospel of Luke, it's composed of eyewitness accounts. Like Luke says that he grabbed this information from people that were actually there. So that means that there were people who are actually sitting there, standing there in the temple, and they are seeing Jesus teach, they are hearing Jesus teach, and then they get to see and hear Jesus talk to the Pharisees and the elders and the scribes this way. And not only did they hear it, but they remembered it, and they were there to let Luke record it. And I'm just like, this is cool, and I, I think it's awesome because, like, Jesus, he takes their question and he turns it back on them, right? He turns it back on them and, and he reveals, like, unbelief, he reveals arrogance, he, re- he reveals ignorance, and he didn't do it through debating them. And he didn't do it through debating, he didn't do it through belittling them, he didn't do it through being angry towards them. Jesus just simply asked a question. And so, yeah, my, my first takeaway after reading this passage is, is Jesus is awesome, right? But if that's not enough for you and you want to be like, okay, yeah, why? You could have chosen any words to talk about how cool he is. Uh, here, here's the first reason why. I think Jesus is awesome because he's full of authority. He's full of authority. Look back to the first two verses there. It says that one day Jesus was teaching in the temple. Like that, that already, right there, just that word, Jesus teaching in the temple, that should show us his authority, right? Because not anyone just waltzed into a temple and started teaching whatever they wanted to. And the same is true for us today in today's culture, right? Like you don't just come on a Sunday morning, like the congregation doesn't get together on a Sunday morning and I stand up on stage. I'm like, good morning, everybody. Let's stand, let's worship. And then we do like 20, 25 minutes worship. We take an offering and then we all sit down and we just wait. We just wait. Maybe someone will stand up and teach today. Who's going to do it? And that's not what we do. We don't just wait for somebody to take over and start talking. No, we, we have somebody specifically in our church that has the authority to teach. It's Pastor Rob. When I was gone last week, Regent came and he preached, right? I made that decision because the elders have chosen that for this time, I'm going to have the authority over the college ministry and the teaching and what it looks like. We have people who stand up here who have a certain amount of authority, and that's the same here. Like, Jesus did not teach in the temple if he was not given authority by the people that were in the temple. If he was not seen with authority by the people in the temple. And if you look back at those two verses, you see not only does that show he had authority, but that, like, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders there, like, so that's, like, literally anyone in charge in the Jewish people, right? Like, they list them all. Like, the priests, the scribes, oh, yeah, and if that's not enough, the elders. All of them are there, and they come up to Jesus, and, and it's them. It's their statement that shows us that he has authority, right? Like, notice, notice what they say. If you're looking back on it, it says, um, who gave you 
the authority? Or by what authority do you teach these things? Like what you need to notice is the leaders didn't come up, up to him and say, hey, you don't have the authority to be here. They didn't question his ability and authority to be there. Rather, they're asking, where does your authority come from? So that means that they're acknowledging that it's there in the first place, right? They're acknowledging that he has some kind of authority and they're like, Where's this coming from? And they're trying to trap him. We find out later at the end of chapter 20 that they are, they're trying to trap him in words in order to convict him. And we're in the last four chapters of Luke right now. Like they are constantly trying to kill him. That's what's going on. They are looking for every single opportunity to kill Jesus at this point. And so this, this is the beginning of it that we see where they're really trying to set up a trap for him. So yeah, like Jesus was full of authority. And our response, you know, I like to give you application points. I like things you can do right now in response to this, like, is, is exactly what I was saying in this passage. Like, our response is, is just to recognize it, right? Like, it, recognize the authority that Jesus had. Like, recognize it and, and seek to uh, understand it because, like, we, we're always trying to seek to understand Jesus, Right? We want to seek to understand how loving Jesus was, how kind he was, how merciful he was. Like all these great things that we speak of who Jesus is. But one of the things that sometimes gets overlooked is the authority that Jesus had in his voice and in his teachings. Jesus wasn't a pushover. He didn't bow to anyone. Jesus spoke as one who was approved by God. And as we see, he spoke as God. He spoke with an authority that even the people who were given the authority, like the, the, chief, like the elders and the priests, you know where do the priests belong? In the temple. They're, like he's on their territory. He's in their church, right? And he's preaching and they're like, hey, get out of here. You don't belong here. They're actually asking like, who gave you this authority? Like that's how authoritative he was and one of the encouraging things and why I say to recognize it as the point is it's not that Jesus just was full of authority right it's that he is currently right now full of authority I didn't put it on the screen it's not in uh, you don't have to turn to it but Matthew 28 right the great commission go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit like that great commission that we talk about all the time do you remember the sentence that's right before it you don't have to I'm gonna read it to you in a minute but think about it do you remember what's the sentence right before go therefore and make disciples of all nations Matthew 28 18 and Jesus came to the disciples and he said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, both in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. What I'm saying is that Jesus was and is full of authority. And we actually, we just sang about it, right? We actually sing about it a lot. But even tonight, we just sang about it, that first song. All the power, oh, and all authority. To one name over everything. We're speaking of Jesus' authority. And I think that is just a part of a reason why he, he's awesome. But it's not the only reason we see. And it's not the only thing we see in these specific verses as to why like, my initial response is like, man, he's so cool. The, the second one is that Jesus is full of wisdom. Not only is he full of authority, but he's full of wisdom and I get these from verses three and four so go ahead and, and look back at that so these leaders come up to him 
And, and what does he do? After they ask him this question, what does he do? Well, he asked them a question. Verse 3, he answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? So like I say Jesus is awesome because of what he does here. I already mentioned, right? He doesn't respond in anger and he doesn't respond with facts. Like how many of us at some point would try to prove Jesus by looking at the facts of the world, right? If you were at the Worldview Conference just, was that a couple weekends ago now in our church, right? If you are at the Worldview Conference a couple weekends ago, you might be thinking of some of the things that we talked about, right? The things in the world that point to Christ. And if someone asks you the question like, how does Jesus have authority? Or how do you know Jesus is who he says he is? Your initial thought might be to try to grasp for all the things that we have seen and tried to prove about the fact that God exists and that he had a son and sent him, right? Like that might be what we try to do, but that's actually not what Jesus does in this moment. He doesn't use apologetics. He doesn't come up with just some facts to, to spiel at them, right? Instead, full of what I would call extreme wisdom, Jesus turns their own motivations of their heart back on them. And he asks a question that's intended to reveal what's really going on in their hearts. He doesn't care about proving with fact. He cares about revealing their own heart to them. I think that's wisdom. Like, I, I don't know what else wisdom is than being able to do something like that, being able to see what needs to be done and to do it. And if you're wondering what wisdom means, you know, every week that I've been teaching, I've been trying to give you a new definition, something that um, is important to the Christian faith. We've talked about sin. We've talked about mercy. We've talked about faith. And tonight, I just want to give you the definition of wisdom. It's on the screen here. The definition of wisdom is this. This is the longer version, and I'll give you a really short one, okay? The, the definition is the soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Now, I'm talking about wisdom as far as doing wise things, right? Like there's wisdom literature, which contains wisdom, which is a little bit different. But this, what Jesus is doing here, it's this kind of wisdom, right? The soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So to, to summarize it as short as I can, it's not just having knowledge, but it's knowing what to do with that knowledge, it's not just having it, but it's the application of knowledge. In one sentence, it's knowing what to do with what you know. It's knowing what to do with what you know. The wisest people, those that act the wisest, are the ones who take the knowledge and apply it in the best way. Everything they've learned gets applied in a fruitful and good way, right? The soundness of an action is that definition. I love that. And Jesus, he knows everything. He's full of knowledge. It says in Colossians, Jesus was the creator. Right? Like through him, everything was created. Like he literally would know everything. And not only does he know it, but he knows what, what to do with it. He knows how to interact with creation. He knows how to interact with those that he created. And so for me, that, that makes him really awesome. That's, that's, that was my word for it. That he would not only have all this authority, that he would not only have all this authority, but that he would be trustworthy enough to put it to good use. 
So if you're looking for an application point on this, I would say if Jesus is full of wisdom, I just want to encourage you, go to him. Like, go to him for wisdom. Go to him in prayer. Go to him in his word because he's filled with it. He's filled with it. Seek him. If you're, if you're seeking wisdom, go to the one who has it. It's just a small example here. So that's the first takeaway. I told you these are just sort of light and topical um, that we see in here. So the first one, Jesus is awesome. The second one sort of sounds random, right? But uh, you'll see it in the text. The second takeaway is some people don't want to believe. Some people don't want to believe. That's what I would have written in my Bible if I had it, right? I was on my phone, so I didn't. But I would have written, some people don't want to believe. I get this takeaway from verses 5 and 6. Wait, wait, look back at it with me. Jesus asked this question about John the Baptist. And I'll tell you, the reason he's asking about John the Baptist is that Jesus was commissioned by John. If you think back to the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, what, what did he do? He got baptized. He got baptized by John and John claimed, he said that Jesus was the Christ, right? John says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So to deny John the Baptist is to deny what what John said about Jesus and to deny Jesus himself, right? They're, They're mingled together. Their ministries are one. John prepared the way for Jesus and Jesus showed that John was preparing the way. So, to deny John the Baptist is to deny Jesus. It's another way for asking, right? And he had become famous. John the Baptist had just died. He had just been beheaded, right? He was well-known in the Jewish people as someone who, who had been a famous prophet at that point. So, if, you didn't, if that's a surprise to you, he gets beheaded, by the way, okay? I don't know if it's in Luke. I can't remember, but it's in the other Gospels. So, um, all right, sorry. Back to verse 5 and 6. Luke 20, 5 and 6. After he asked him this question... And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. First of all, this is not in my message, but how crazy is it to live in a world that if you say something, someone might stone you to death, right? Like, I was just thinking about that, too. I was like, man, so glad I don't live in that world nowadays where I could possibly just be stoned to death for saying the wrong thing. Anyway, sorry. All right, I want you to notice something else here besides just that silly little aside. Um, they never actually considered his question. Look at their statement. They never actually considered the answer to his question. Like instead of each man there contemplating in his own mind what the true answer to that question might be. Like, instead, they gathered, and what did they do? They talked about it. They had a huddle, right? They had a huddle, and they decided to talk about the answer, and they talked about what each one of these answers might do to them. They didn't ask which one was true. They asked, which one is going to affect me the most? Which one is going to hurt the most? And they, they talked about repercussions of the answer, but never bothered to get to the truth of the answer. And what, what does this show? It shows that in their minds, they already had the answer. In their minds, Jesus wasn't who he said he was, and so they spent their time exploring debate instead of exploring what their souls might be telling them. What we see is that they, they didn't want to believe, and I'd categorize it as one major reason, right? I know that they discovered two things here, but it's one major reason and this isn't the only reason that some people may not want to believe but it's a reason and it's one that's in here and it's a pretty big one 
Um, some people don't want to believe because of pride. Right? Some people don't want to believe because of pride. Look back at verse 5 there. Leaders here didn't want to say that John the Baptist's work was from heaven. And why didn't they want to say that it was from heaven? Because that would be admitting that they were wrong. That'd be acknowledging something that they didn't acknowledge previously. I mean, they're the ones who had him imprisoned. To acknowledge that they were wrong would have brought what? Embarrassment? Shame? Looking like fools because they didn't believe John the Baptist when he was alive. So now, and they're supposed to be the religious gurus of the time, right? Like they are the head of the Jewish people. They are the ones who run the temple. They're the, one, the scribes. They're the ones that write the scriptures. And they didn't believe. And they, they can't, right? They, they can't give in to that. What do we call that? We call that pride. Like to admit that they're wrong would embarrass them. It would hurt their pride. And they weren't having any of that. But look at verse 6. Verse 6, they were afraid that if they said he was a fraud, what's the opposite? If they said he was a fraud, what's going to happen? They're going to get killed. They're going to get stoned. And what is that? At the end of the day, what is it? It's self-love and self-protection. It's loving yourself, protecting yourself over what is true and what is good and what needs to be done. It's protecting yourself from what you know and what God says is true. And, and what's, the, what's the root of extreme self-love? It's pride. Although this has two different answers and two different outcomes, they're just evaluating the same thing. And how is this going to affect their pride? Thinking you are more valuable than others. Putting yourself above others in a way that demeans them, controls them, belittles them, doesn't seek their good, and, and, and so many more things, right? And these leaders, they're, they're guilty of that. They don't want to answer the question because they value their own lives. They value their own lives over the sincere belief of the people that they're leading. Their literal job is to lead these people. That was their entire calling. Right? It's not like us that we have like eight to five jobs and we go home and do something else. Like that's not how it works in that society. If you were a priest, that was literally your entire life. Their calling was to lead these people in the truth of God. And they chose themselves over admitting that they might be wrong. That's pride. And you guys, you probably see it in your lives all the time, right? I, I see it in mine, right? Like I might debate and, and decide and, and question the value of each answer and, and how it might fit my own desires or how it might make me look rather than acknowledging you know, whether or not it's actually true in the first place. And a lot of times that's because I don't like the repercussions of what it would be if it was true. And I know the same is for you as well. Like we don't even, we just want to figure out how to, how to like get away from the truth because we don't want to think about how the truth might affect us if we accept it. And we can give that as well. So that's my second takeaway is there's just some people that don't want to believe. In this moment, it's about Jesus himself, but we know it to be true about all things that God teaches, right? Sometimes we just don't want to believe. And so I needed to see that. This week as I was reading it, and I pray you needed to see it as well, here's the third and final takeaway, and that's that belief requires faith. Belief requires faith. What I'd say here is, is these leaders, they, they don't want to believe, right? We've already proven that. 
These leaders don't want to believe. And then after they pretty much say that, right? They admit ignorance. They're like, we don't know because they're avoiding it. Jesus teaches us something that's really important about our beliefs and really important about believing in Christ. And we see that in verses seven and eight here. It says, so they answered that they did not know where it came from. So that, they, they chose the neutral ground, right? So they can get out of it, back out. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you. By what authority I do these things. So what is essentially what's Jesus saying here? He's saying that because they're unwilling to have faith, because they're unwilling to have faith that that was from God, because they're unwilling to have faith in Jesus, that's the heart issue here. That he's not going to answer them. There is no reason to discuss specific beliefs like the belief on who get, who, where did the authority come from? How did he have that authority? There's no reason to even discuss that if you don't have faith in the first place. That's what Jesus is getting to. You lack the faith, no point in discussing belief. They don't desire it, they don't want it. And, and why, it, why is this takeaway here tonight? It's here because sometimes, like for me, right? I told you, this is for me. I need to remember to just turn off my brain sometimes. Now, I'm not encouraging that for everyone. I know many of you are in school. Please don't. But in general, sometimes I need to remember to just to turn off my brain. You know, like the Worldview Conference was awesome. I really enjoyed it. There was a, a lot, a lot of many things that I learned that were super helpful on how to defend our faith and, and to be in defense of the hope that is within us. But, but think about that sentence I just said. I said it was really helpful in ways to defend our faith. What does that imply? It implies that there is a faith first and that it needs to be defended. We see it in like 1 Peter 3.15. That's not on the screen either. I just want to read it to you. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy. And here it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, uh, for the reason that the hope is in you. Like notice how it talks about making a defense for the hope, but what? It's the hope that's already in you. It's already there. Making a defense for your faith, not a justification. Like there's a big difference. And I think this is the difference I really saw in this. There's a big difference between defending your faith and attempting to justify, justify your, your faith through reasoning. And, and what Jesus is saying here is that logic and reasoning and arguments and answers, at the end of the day, they aren't what matters, right? They want to come and they want to logic him and they want to reason him. And instead, what does he get to? He gets to the heart and he gets to their faith. That's what he's trying to expose is their lack of faith. Because without that, the rest just really doesn't matter because everything stems from that we defend the faith that we have in Christ the faith in Christ not a faith about Christ I'll end with with this little illustration so I was thinking about um you know if we were to build a building right real deep if we were to build a building and we were to put the foundation on cement I'd say probably a good foundation I mean I don't build things for a living but it seems like cement would be a pretty good foundation overall. Seems like it's used a lot. It would be like if we built that foundation and we thought this is sturdy, this is great, this is what we need until someone comes along with a chemical that can melt away cement. 
right? And they, they can just pour it on and away it goes. What happens to the building then? Crumbles, it falls, it's not supported. What stood out to me when thinking through this is that we have so many of these things. Like the Worldview Conference really put this in perspective for me, right? We have so many things that we say is our faith. So many things that we hold on to about our view of the earth and our view on politics and our, and our view on what Jesus said and, and all these thoughts and we try to make them the faith. We try to make them the foundation. We try to make them the cement that our building is on. But what happens when one of those changes? Guys, how we view people, how we think, how we view ourselves, that changes from generation to generation. Right? Just take a quick look at the boomers, the millennials, and you guys. And you'll see real quick how we view people differently, how we think about work differently, how we think about family differently. Like all those things change and Jesus doesn't change, which tells us that we shouldn't build our faith on those things. Guys, science changes. It changes with either more information or different information. We cannot base our faith on scientific facts. And how you experience the world, how you feel right now, that changes with age. The things you're passionate about, you may not be passionate about in 10 years. The things that you desire right now, you may never worry about again. We cannot base our faith simply on what it makes us feel and how it fulfills us right now. That's not faith. Those are just beliefs. And you can have those beliefs. Beliefs are good. But what do beliefs require? They require the faith in the first place. And that is the faith that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins on the cross, was buried for three days, and was raised to give us life. And without that, we have nothing else. And without that, they had nothing else. So that's what I was thinking about. Not all that, right? I mean, like, I, I really thought about it after I got back this week and started going through it. But those takeaways, those takeaways, are, they can be so simple, right? The, the thought, like, Jesus is awesome. Like, and just sit on that for a while. And, and some people don't want to believe. I just need to understand that when I'm interacting with people, that I'm interacting with people who have different thoughts and opinions. And, and, and belief requires faith. The thought that, like, man, I really need to make sure that what I believe is what I believe. And it's not based on everything else. And and I bring all that up to say, if any of these things you want to talk more about or you're struggling with, if any of these things you'd love, to, especially like the, the belief and faith and trying to figure it all out, like, and turning my brain off, like those things, like, if you want to talk about that, come find me. Okay, let's talk. Come find any of us wearing one of these name tags. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to help you. There's no way I can preach on faith in, in the five to ten minutes I gave it tonight, right? Take several messages. Pastor Rob would probably have like seven messages on it, right? Faith part one, two. Anyway, so I'm, I'm getting away. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for uh, the time that we got together tonight. Thank you that we were able to worship you through song, worship you through your word. Thank you that we could uh, see all the different ways that your word can apply to us, Father, to take a passage that's about um, some leaders asking Jesus a question and understand different truths in it. Uh, how good are you, Father? that 
The deepest things can be found in the smallest of passages. Lord, I pray for our time tonight. Keep us safe as we're walking around in the dark. Keep us safe um, as we are having fun. Um, And Lord, uh, continue to grow us together like only you can. Knit our hearts together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.